Stories flood into the repository newsroom every day. Crimes, politics, scandals. The news never stops. Even the most sensational stories fade with time to become fossils buried under layers of newsprint in the morgue. That's what newspapers call their archive. And when you've been around for 200-plus years like the repository, there are plenty of forgotten tales. These are the stories from the Rep Morgue. I'm your host, Shane Hoover. To start this podcast, we're turning the dial back 100 years to the end of the First World War. Part 1. Death Comes to Dinner. Have you ever gone to a dinner party and couldn't wait to reveal your contribution to the meal? Maybe it was a triple fudge brownie or a good bottle of bourbon. For Helen Sebring Garris, ripe olives were the right touch for her party in the summer of 1919, and they ensured the dinner went down in history as the Death Banquet. We're going to revisit the Death Banquet, a story that is part high society and part medical mystery. The tale begins August 23, 1919, a Saturday, with a dinner dance at Lakeside Country Club on the shore of Myers Lake. The host was the aforementioned Mrs. Garris, a 33-year-old socialite from Sebring, the small Mahoning County town founded by her family. She was holding the party to honor Colonel Charles C. Waybricht, an Alliance native who had just returned from the Great War and its aftermath. Wealthy businessmen and their wives rounded out the guest list, including the Morgans, who lived in Glamorgan Castle, the grandest home in Alliance. Wanting to impress her guests, Mrs. Garris stopped at an Alliance grocery on the way to the Lakeside Club and bought nuts, candies, and a jar of ripe, or to us, black, olives. Later that Saturday night, the party feasted on roast turkey and dressing, potatoes, tomatoes, and cantaloupe, corn, rolls with butter, ice cream, and cake. The table also had a bottle of whiskey, thanks to Mr. Garris, and despite the fact that Prohibition had already started in Ohio. The waiters served the olives, too, but they weren't the treat Mrs. Garris had hoped, as her guests remarked. Smelled like Limburger. Not fit to eat. Later that night, lakeside waiter Charles Odie collected the uneaten olives and took them to the kitchen. The staff usually ate the leftovers. Try one of these damn things. They don't taste right to me. Odie told lakeside chef Fred McAvoy. McAvoy ate two olives. Part 2. 50-50 The day after the party, some of the guests and Lakeside staff fell ill. Mrs. Garris had double vision while golfing. Others got dizzy, vomited, 
or went blind. Soon they were having trouble talking, swallowing, and breathing. They were paralyzed. The colonel, 50 years old and still physically imposing, a veteran of two wars, was bedridden and unable to speak. What are my chances, he scratched out on a pad. His doctor tried to reassure him. The colonel answered his own question. 50-50, he wrote. By Tuesday, three victims were dead. 34-year-old club waiter Bob Jennings, who had eaten olives with Odie and McAvoy, died first. Mrs. Garris and the colonel perished next. Reports of other deaths trickled in. McAvoy, the chef, and John and Catherine Scherer, a couple from Alliance. Eight other guests were seriously ill, including Jesse Sanford, the wife of a local dentist. She lingered for a week before dying. The colonel had been right. Fourteen diners fell ill, seven died. 50-50. Doctors debated what was to blame for the poisoning. Death was due to toxine poisoning, which could only be found in meat. Dr. John T. Phillips, Cleveland Clinic. Dr. J.P. DeWitt, Coroner T.C. McQuait, and club officials suspected the olives. 200 guests ate turkey at the banquet. Diners at only one table got sick. The fact that none of the guests became ill, except those in the party who ate olives, and three of the employees who also ate them, seems to be proof. Dr. J.P. DeWitt. Or was it bootleg liquor tainted with wood alcohol? Bad mushrooms? Or a murderous Bolshevik plot? Rumors swirled. Helen Garris's brother asked the state to investigate. The state sent Dr. Charles Armstrong of the U.S. Public Health Service. Armstrong was from Alliance and a graduate of Mount Union and Johns Hopkins. I have come here with an entirely open mind as to what caused the tragedy, and I intend to make a thorough investigation of the whole affair. This probably will require three or four days, and perhaps longer. My mind is not made up on any theory of the case. Dr. Charles Armstrong Part 3. The Investigation Charles Odie, the surviving lakeside waiter, played a key role in solving the case, even if he didn't realize it at the time. After the dinner, Odie had taken a dish of ripe olives from the other waiter, Jennings, and noticed they didn't taste right. He took them to the chef and put the rest in an icebox, meaning there was a sample to test. Odie's physician, Dr. DeWitt, had injected some of the leftover olive juice under a rabbit's skin. The rabbit died. Whatever was killing people was in the olives. DeWitt was sure of it. He opined that wood alcohol or a similar poison had been used to preserve the olives. It wasn't a bad guess. Only 13 years earlier, Congress had passed the Food and Drugs Act in response to the use of poisonous preservatives and dyes in food drinks, and medicines, and consumer protections continued to evolve. Doctors autopsied McAvoy and Jennings and sent their organs to Cleveland. 
autopsies were not done on the other victims. They were mourned at private services, except for the colonel. His funeral procession stretched for ten blocks and included two bands. Businesses and alliance closed on the day of his funeral. Meanwhile, Dr. Armstrong's team and Dr. John G. Spencer, a chemist from Western Reserve University, were closing in on the poison. Their investigations were methodical and killed a fair number of guinea pigs and at least one cat. The critters died when they were injected with or force-fed leftover olives or brine. The researchers also grew cultures from the olives and brine and confirmed the culprit. Clostridium botulinum. The rod-shaped bacteria thrived in improperly preserved foods and produced a toxin that attacked the body's nerves, eventually causing respiratory failure and death. Eating just half of a tainted olive proved enough to kill. The death banquet is now part of Alliance lore. Tours of the city cemetery often stop at the victims' graves. The sharers lie beneath the statue of a kneeling, grief-stricken woman. Jesse Sanford is buried a few yards away under a simple headstone. A bronze statue of a doughboy marks the colonel's grave. The statue holds a rifle and clenches his right fist. Botulinum toxin is still considered the most powerful natural poison, more lethal than nerve agents. It's also used in Botox to smooth out wrinkles by paralyzing facial muscles. The death banquet and similar incidents prompted changes in food safety. The ripe or black olives we eat today on nachos and pizza are canned and heat-treated to kill harmful bacteria. A patient's chances of surviving botulism remained 50-50 until the Department of Defense started to develop an antitoxin in the late 1970s. They harvested antibodies from the blood of a former racehorse they had exposed to botulinum toxin to make this serum. Now, fewer than 5% of cases are fatal, but recovery can still take months. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, there were 29 confirmed cases of foodborne botulism in 2016. 19 were caused by a bad batch of hooch at a federal prison in Mississippi. So remember, today, ripe olives are fine, but pass on the toilet wine. Thanks for listening to the Rep Morgue Podcast. A special thanks to our voice talent for this episode, Malcolm Hall, Jessica Holbrook, Allison Mattis, Robert Wang, Ed Pritchard, and Dave Serino. You can find the show notes for this episode at cantonrep.com, where you can also listen to more episodes of the Rep Morgue and other podcasts. Our theme music is Blind by Maidan. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of... Uh human remains that are left. 
listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.